Kinesis. Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen. Hello, I am Scott Allen, and thanks to my daughter Kate for developing the intro to the Practical Wisdom for Leaders podcast, where we offer a smart, fast-paced discussion on all things leadership. My guests help us explore timely topics and incorporate practical tips to help you make a difference in how you lead and live. If you haven't done so, please click subscribe so you automatically, seamlessly stay in the know when we publish new episodes. Likewise, please provide me with feedback. What do you like? What do you dislike? And what else would you like to know? And now, today's show. My guest today is Craig Johnson, Dr. Craig Johnson. It's good to have you with us. I'm excited for this conversation today because I think this is a topic that is always foundational to a whole conversation about leadership. I don't know that it always gets its due, ethics and ethical decision-making, but boy, it is a foundational concept. And so, Craig, maybe we could start off today by having you share a little bit about yourself and then what's been your path to this area of expertise of yours. You know, I use your textbook in class. I love your textbook. If you're listening right now, go ahead and purchase Craig's book, Meeting the Ethical Challenges of Leadership, Casting Light or Shadow. And just that title, it's kind of, it draws you in. It draws you in in a really, really nice way. So Craig, tell us a little bit about you and how you got into your work. I took a long path, an interesting path. And I'm fortunate to be at a, I taught at George Fox University, which allowed me to transition. My degree is in communication arts. And you'll see from University of Denver, and you'll see a thread there. I hit some topics, I think, that people coming out of other fields wouldn't, you know, interpersonal communication and so forth. So started in that area, did have a leadership ethics class, or a leadership class, I should say, in graduate school with a buddy of mine, Mike Hackman, and he called me one day and he said, hey, Craig, let's write a book. <laughs> and I said, what about? He said, well, let's write about leadership. And I said, well, how is that different from management? And away we went. So we, we started with the book on leadership communication. Then the more I got with the chapter on ethics, but the more I got into the topic, the more I realized how important leadership ethics is. It's literally life or death Yes. Uh, in some cases, in the most serious cases. So I thought I'd like to, to write about that and focus on that area. So I, I transitioned out of communication and was director of a doctoral a DBA program. Uh, started out as a doctor of management program, but nobody could figure out exactly what that degree was. It was very unique, too unique. So we switched it to a more traditional DBA program. And I also got interested in organizational ethics and so developed a textbook in that area. So I had the freedom where I was to not just focus on one area for our entire career, but to transition, which was uh, a great thing for me because I, I love learning new things and moved into this area, tried not tried to become versed in it, but not to copy what other people have done. Yeah. So not to, to get stuck uh, with, with what everybody else did and to try to do something uh, original. So that's, uh, that's how I got into this whole area of uh, leadership ethics. I do have a, a master's in journalism, so it finally drew on that, which was great. <laughs> 
<laughs> I found it okay. And I, I find textbook writing to be, believe it or not, creative. Yes. Because you get to choose what goes in there and what comes out of there um, more than a journal article where it's, it's really prescribed each part introduction and discussion and everything. So uh, I found it, uh, found it a, a good fit for me. If I'm doing a case study on plastic pollution, I know a lot about that, then I forget. Uh, or whatever the area is, I'm versed in that, but I'm focused on that. So uh, that's been enjoyable for me as well. Well, you're always learning. You're always learning. And, you know, when I when I start these podcasts, I often start with words that I think of when I think of that individual, especially if I know them. And for you, it's the three words are light or shadow. Again, I alluded to it earlier because the the title of your textbook, it, it draws you in. And I've always really appreciated your writing style because I think at times people people can think of this topic as dry or that I'm gonna be sit I'm gonna sit in a room and be lectured to. But even the example you just you just provided about plastics, I think the the case studies that you weave in to your to your books they draw in the reader and they really, really spark great conversations, really, really powerful conversations. I remember some of the case studies around friendly fire and just hours of dialogue and conversations among our students about what should have been done in that case, right? And so talk to the our listeners a little bit about who may not be as well versed in this topic. Let's say I'm an aspiring leader. I want to be a better leader. What do I have to have on my radar when it comes to this topic of meeting the ethical challenges of leadership? What advice would you have for those individuals? I want to go back to that light and shadow metaphor. It comes from Parker Palmer, who's a, an educator. And he also talks about leadership. And a very influential essay to me, uh, he uses as a metaphor, says, look, as a leader, you have a great deal of power. You can make life bright shadow, or shadowy, uh, as bright as heaven or as shadowy as hell. And I think that's a recognition we need to have as leaders, that it's a position of power, and we have a responsibility to use that power wisely. And so what I try to do is think of, okay, what specific shadows that do we need to be aware of as leaders? And I came up with six of them. Uh, Power is probably the most obvious one in terms of being corrupt. I call privilege the evil twin of power. If you have more power, you typically have more privilege. And to me, that's a major issue right now in our culture, that we have such divides between top-level learners and uh, people at the bottom. But leaders also have to deal with a lot of information. And what do you do? How do you get that information? Um, They have to deal with consistency. uh, And you cast shadow if you're inconsistent. You also cast shadow if your loyalties are to yourself and not in the right place. And also, as leaders, you have more responsibilities. Who are we responsible to? We need to be responsible for the people who follow us and so forth. So those are the areas where we can cast shadows. If we handle those areas correctly, we cast light. We handle them poorly, we cast some shadow. Interesting. Well, and and so if I'm a if I'm an aspiring leader, what are some thoughts that you have as you communicate with those individuals? What are some hallmarks or some principles? Where do I even begin? Where do I start to ensure that my own ethical house, so to speak, is in order? When you look at a number of places, one is character. Okay. In terms of, and I think that's important because oftentimes we make ethical decisions. We don't have time to 
to go through a whole list of ethical perspectives, although we need to look there as well. Uh, am I, what are my duties? How do I balance what the costs of what I'm going to do versus the benefits and so forth? But am I, do I have these basic virtues of character traits like honesty and persistence and compassion mm. and so forth? So look there. Yep. Fortunately, we have some uh, good, what I call normative leadership theories, ones that tell us how to act as opposed to focusing on task or relationship. I don't see that as an ethical theory so much. Okay. But for example, servant leadership, am I putting followers first? Yes. This is a good rule of thumb, I think. Am I being authentic in terms of knowing my values and living those values out? So authenticity, authentic leadership theory. And then there's another one that's uh, very prominent that's come through that's really impacted my thinking, and that's ethical leadership theory, mm. Brown and Trevino, which is need to work on my character, but as a leader, it's also my responsibility to be an ethical manager, to shape that context. Character gets me so far, but as a leader, particularly in a larger organization, people may not know me personally, so they're going to know me by my policies that I'm uh, sharing. They're going to know if I talk a lot about ethics and get that on the radar screen, so to speak, because if you don't, people concentrate on profit or other things. I have not read I have not read Brown and Trevino. Would you say a little bit more about their work? Yeah, interesting work because they were uh, working with some graduate students and were challenged to come up with a uh, definition of leadership. So it's one of these areas in uh, in most people fall either into the qualitative, the, the non-statistical or the statistical. They started by interviewing ethics officers and saying, okay, describe for me an ethical leader. And out of that uh, came some characteristics, and they developed a, a scale, ethical leadership scale, which uh, kind of like giving people an ethical hammer that's been used widely This because it's so handy to use in part, I think. Yeah. And what they found was it's not, as I mentioned, not enough just to have good character because in a large organization, particularly, it's more your reputation and people don't know you personally. Yeah. If they're so, you have to be active in terms of shaping the organizational culture. And out of that came a lot of uh, interesting research where you look at ethical leadership. How does it match up with people's satisfaction as being a follower? Well, people like ethical leadership. They're better followers. The organization is more productive. Mm. It's even been linked to creativity. Ethical leadership, followers tend to be more creative because mm. they don't have to spend a lot of time figuring out what you want or you're, that you're changing or being unethical. Their energy can, to go, can go into innovation and so forth. So it really opened up a lot of research, which is, is, has revealed that ethical leaders finish first, not last. Mm. I think that's been a, not, not every time, but I think people have held back because they figure, well, if I be ethical, I'm not going to get promoted or my organization's uh, performance will suffer. No, the, the evidence is pretty strong. Ethical leaders finish first, not last. Mm. So character, my, you know, my, my character is intact. I'm, if I'm in a leadership role, I'm helping shape culture. Wonderful. What else comes to mind for you? Clarity around values. I heard that in there and living them. 
what else comes to mind for you that that are that's work for aspiring leaders? I, I think I think this is what I would say is taking an inward taking a look inwardly beyond character two in terms of what are my motivations. What is there are certain personality disorders like narcissism that contribute to uh, misbehavior, taking a look at those, taking a look at our decision-making, getting practice in terms of making ethical decisions, looking at those contextual factors. As leaders, we both create, but we're also prisoners of our own creations. And so what environment am I in? I need to look at that. Is it encouraging me? What's the story of this organization? Is it a healthy story? Is it one that I want to be part of? And as you mentioned values, I also think it's important to have a personal mission statement what I want to accomplish. That helps uh, deflect unethical urges. It also helps determine where I should put my energies and so forth. And uh, I like the term vocation or calling. It's uh, Frederick Buechner, theologian, has said, uh, vocation is where my my interest, deepest interest meets the world's deepest need, something to that effect. That it's it's not selfish to find out your calling or vocation or where you can best serve, basically, because that's where you're going to best serve as a leader. Well, and for people who may be listening that find themselves in an organization that perhaps they don't totally align with everything that's happening. I was I was in an organization last fall and the CEO said something to the effect of, we are not in any way the future. In, in many ways, our business model is the past, but I'm helping us transition into the future. It was something to that effect. And so while damaging the environment or some of the traditional practices in that organization probably would today be frowned upon, he viewed it as helping the organization transition into something new. So it's an interesting puzzle, right? Because I, I suppose some people could just fool themselves into and make excuses and do the gymnastics they need to do to justify being there. But what's that line? What's that line? You know, it's the equivalent of a company that maybe is highly engaged in fracking, but they might say, you know, we're trying to get off of oil and until we have solar up and running completely, natural gas is you know, it's the bridge technology. So I feel I sleep well at night because I'm a part of that solution. When in fact, the the jury may be out on fracking, depending on who you have a conversation with. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So how do you think about that? Or do you, does the individual just go back to their own core values and they're just going to have to make a decision? I think it's an individual decision. It's hard to because there's no perfect organization. So, and, and colleges are along with that too. Are we comfortable uh, as professors or where is is that line? But uh, I was reading about social entrepreneurs. These are the people who try to make changes within the organization. And a number, just they did interviews. And a number of them had, what did they believe what they called moral awakenings. And maybe that's a key moment that maybe we've been living with something. And in a couple of cases, it was related to child nutrition and it was an awakening to be overseas and to see kids that were eating their company's sugary cereals. Hmm, I need to do something about this and to change. And that, that might be another avenue too, is 
we're not where we're at. Can I make a change at, within the organization? And I always urge uh, new graduates too. You're going to get in an organization. It's not going to be perfect, but that doesn't mean you quit the first week. If you find something you don't like, give it some time. Look it over. See what you can live with. Part of your core values that it rubs up against. Give it time and then make a decision and balance those factors. But I think you make a good point. It's pretty easy if we're being corrupted in an organization to rationalize that too. Yes. And and again, justify the behavior and I had a wonderful conversation. I've been I've been talking with Ira Chalef lately, and and then he has a colleague named Sharna Faviano. And so we had this wonderful conversation about followership. Actually, it's going to come out one episode before this conversation. So I'd love to get your your thoughts on that whole conversation. You would listen to. I know you listen to the Ron Riggio podcast where he talked about, you know, leadership doesn't exist. You know, leaders and followers co-create leadership. But at times, followers can be a part of the problem. They can be part of the challenges in organizational life. So how do you think about the role of follower in this whole conversation, Craig? We've never had this conversation. I'm excited to hear what you think. I do think about followership and the International Leadership Association. I belong to that that group as as well. I think followers cast shadows as well. I think it depends on the role. So I see leadership as an influence process and a role that we move into, we move out of some parts of the day we're leading, other parts we're following. And by nature of that specific role, followers have their own challenges, and they can be shadowy as well. So first one is obligation, and that's a tough one because it's, am I paying back the company in the sense or the organization because they've hired me and they're paying me and then life insurance or health insurance? But on the other hand, so many organizations have, particularly in high-tech field, consulting, demand so much of employees. They have to be on call all the time. So how do you strike that balance? And obedience, of course, is a big one. When do I obey or disobey? And that's one that Ira uh, talks about. Another one that I've fallen victim to is cynicism. It's pretty easy to be cynical as a follower. And skepticism is great. I mean, we need to be checking things out. But on the other hand, cynicism is like a battery acid. <laughs> it just eats away. So it's easy to follow in that. And then how do we offer dissent when we don't like how things are going? And how do we deal with the challenge of bad news? Things aren't going the way they ought to go. So how do I deal with that? So to me, followers have their own sense of a set of obligations, I should say. And the notion of the toxic triangle, that you've got toxic leaders, toxic followers, and the toxic situation. So yes, followers are are uh, very much involved. And we have to look at, I know uh, Ron Riggio talked about how do you explain so much bad leadership? Uh, and why do we follow about bad leadership? And I would say that's scary now because of authoritarianism, which has really grown the last few years. So as followers, we've got to be looking at, okay, why am I following? Do I have some of those um, unhealthy motivations? How can I lead myself? How can I be courageous as a courageous follower? I think I think sometimes followers get off easy 
we always blame just the leader. When the followers, uh, they bought into this as well. They were they were lying to investigators. They were doing all of these things uh, as well. But they don't tend to, to end up with any criminal penalties in some of these situations, like a Theranos Labs or other places. Well, I, I, I like how you said that actually followers get off easy sometimes. I think they get off easy in a couple different ways. I would love to hear a little bit more about the toxic triangle. This is a new concept for me. Would you share a little bit more about that? Well, the, the one example that, uh, that was used with it was at Penn State University with uh, the sex abuse that was, uh, was occurring with the linebacker coach who is now in prison, but you had, um, you know, he was obviously a, a toxic, toxic uh, leader, but you also had followers who witnessed what was going on and didn't act. And, and I'm willing to uh, forgive at least the one, you know, sometimes you just don't believe what you see, but but people didn't didn't step up. And you also had a toxic situation in that, Football was so important at this university, and the football coach was really more powerful than the university president. So you had all those three factors working together. So it's, it's a way to incorporate both leaders and followers. I've been I've been watching a few different documentaries on Netflix lately, which which highlights some of that. Whether it's the Jeffrey Epstein or a USA Gymnastics was a fairly toxic situation, obviously for years and years and years. And those case studies, it it really is mind boggling that that still exists. And I think one thing that Sharna was thinking about was how do we how do we help develop followers and help them understand their roles and i think ron might have even touched on this a little bit too but what are we doing for followership education so that leaders are surrounded by individuals who are very clear about their values and what it is they stand for as well and now of course that's not a silver bullet but it's it's a it's a thought experiment how do we do it better right and so i i I think as we transition into the conversation about what what do leadership educators or leadership developers need to be thinking about as they design curriculum, what are some elements on that front that come to mind for you? What has to be in a curriculum for it to be solid in your mind? Obviously, it has to deal with followership at, at some level. The, the tricky thing is, of course, that if you offer a followership course in the curriculum, how many people are going to sign up for this course? <laughs> so I think you have to there, sneak there it in. College essays that say, you know, when was the last time you were a follower, right? That's yeah. right. Share all the times you were followers. And, and there should be because, you know, being a good follower is key to uh, to being a good uh, good leader. So I think you have to incorporate that. Uh, Melissa Karsten um, in uh, North Carolina has talked about co-production of leadership with followers. And the interesting thing was the, the idea that some people think of themselves as co-equals with leaders. And if you do, what I found interesting from an ethical perspective was that if you view yourself that way, you're less likely to act in an unethical manner. So there, there's a clear connection here. So it's encouraging students or if we're training people to be co view themselves that way. Now, it's not always well accepted by the leader, but I think if we can view ourselves that way, that we avoid a, a lot of traps that we can fall into as followers. Yes. 
I think I'd read some some research that suggested some some people construct the role in their heads as as almost a partner. Others construct the role as I, I do what I'm told, and then there's you know everything kind of in between, right? So what else comes to mind? What else does a does an educator need to have on their radar as they're designing programming for anyone? Leader or follower? Yes, yeah. Okay. Well, when it comes to the uh, ethics, needs obviously to be included in terms of, and I think from the get-go, meaning I think a lot of times ethics is treated in uh, Chapter 12 of a book, and if we don't have time, it's taken out. And I think it's important to recognize that as long as we've talked about leaders, we've been concerned about ethics. So if you go back to Jesus, you go back to Zhu, you go back to Confucius, they were talking, when, when you talk leadership or Aristotle, you were talking ethics. So it fits in uh, from the very beginning. And from a broader perspective, not just ethics, uh, perhaps it's my communication background, but communication people are very concerned about the context. And so we have interpersonal classes and we have group classes, group communication. We have organizational communication and we have public speaking and public communication. So uh, all of that. So from my background, I try to make sure that I cover those areas because there's some unique communication, ethics, and leadership issues. We don't think about groupthink when we talk about interpersonal, but we certainly do when we get into groups. And there's overlap, of course. But So I'm always very contextual when it comes to teaching leadership ethics or a leadership. So those are some of the areas. And then uh, talking about leadership development, where you go from here is is important too. And I see it as a lifelong journey that uh, it never ends. I don't think anybody gets to the, uh, I've arrived as a leader. Uh, <laughs> but it's like at my university, we do a junior's trip and try to prepare for the trip. The more you're prepared for the trip, the more you get out of it so that you don't look just to eat at McDonald's when you get to Paris, or where, which has happened, of course. Um, and, and I like the idea from the Center for Creative Leadership, which says leadership can be learned, and those skills carry over to a variety of settings, whether you're going to be profit or nonprofit and so forth. So my argument is to be proactive. So you got to be ready. Um, you have to want to learn. That you have to uh, you have to concentrate on the learning, not the grade. For example, so some people do well in classes, but they really don't carry much over. So have a learning orientation. You got to seek out opportunities. And so anytime you can leave, that's great practice. Um, and to try to get those developmental relationships with mentors and peers and coaches, and capitalize on those experiences best you can. The, particularly the failures and the hardship. I think that's a key question to ask when we hire leaders or bring leaders on board. Okay, tell me about your failures. What did you learn from that? I'm always suspicious of somebody who has this unblemished track record. Okay, have you been seasoned? <laughs> How are you going to deal with the first failure that comes and so forth? So that would be, uh, be some of my advice for development uh, as we uh, build courses, uh, equipping students that way as well. Well, and I love the experiential kind of perspective that you're taking on all of this, or you use the word practice. 
I don't know if you've ever read any K. Anders Ericsson, uh, Deliberate Practice. He's he's the expertise. He's a psychologist. Actually, he just passed away, unfortunately. But we don't often enough design opportunities to practice to put people in situations and then reflect back on. Because I have to imagine that a that metacognition or that a way of being around reflection is an important habit of mind for someone who aspires to be an ethical leader, right? Are you consistently in that space of reflection? Are you open to are you open to feedback and are you perceived as someone who's going to be open to feedback so that maybe people can help you understand when maybe you're a little bit off the rails? But that experiential domain, it's critical because you're not going to have a soccer player by sitting in a room talking about soccer. And that's what happens oftentimes with with ethical decision-making or this topic is we sit in a room and we talk about it kind of absent the context. And then when people get in, we expect them to be prepared, but things speed up. People people make mistakes. They forget their values. Power is in the, in the dynamic and authority. And all of a sudden you have this soup that... It wasn't like that when you were just talking about it in the classroom, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I compare it in my uh, with ethics students. Compare it to learning, becoming an expert on anything else, chess or baseball or playing a musical instrument. So I'll bring people up and interview them and say, "Well, did you take lessons?" Well, yeah, I took some lessons. Uh, you know, I had a coach. Uh, um, did you practice? Uh, yeah, I practiced a lot. So to me, it's those it's those two things. I, I don't want to lose sight of the theory and the concept because when I go learn to play baseball, I don't have to reinvent the sport. There's some theory out there, but I need to practice, practice, practice. So some of that can occur in the classroom and the case studies and those Give us a chance to practice because I think the goal, at least with ethical leadership, is that we're not necessarily going to become experts, but we're going to become better at. We're going to be less of a novice and, and see things more like experts who have that metacognition that you said they can see, like a chess player. I can only see the next move. A chess player can see eight or you know really good ones, several moves out, and it's that way. Ethical experts look at a situation, they notice that something's not right, they can quickly decide because they've run into that situation before because they have the experience or they've read about it, just as a chess player recognizes Sicilian defense and can respond to that. So I think it's important with ethics to demystify it because I think, as you alluded to earlier, it can be mystifying to some people. It can be thought of as theoretical. I think it's very practical. It can be made very practical because it hits where we live. And there's always something to talk about because things in the news are always there and there's always those decisions to be made. And in organizations, we make lots of ethical decisions. Yeah. Well, universities are engaged in those decisions right now about how to reopen in the fall. I mean, that's ripe for the conversation. Um, you know, there are so many things happening in our context right now that you have many editions ahead of you. <laughs> <laughs> My publisher will be glad to, to hear that. It'll be interesting you to have, see. You, yeah. yes, there's always, uh, it's always cases. And, and I, uh, I enjoyed the fact that you, you got some good discussions out of the cases because... Yeah, Pat Tillman. I mean, that's a... That's a oh, yeah. 
That's a fascinating case. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's- and, and that's the point. Uh, as I put in when I'm talking to instructors in the instructor manual, I don't give right or wrong answers. I mean, there's sometimes I say, here are some things from the chapter. You, you know, you better hit those things. But it's wide open. What are the students? And that's the fun of it, I think, is what are the students thinking? And And we're not coming in and saying, this is how... The company should have responded or the military should have responded in that situation. What do you think? And uh, that's part of critical thinking. That's part of growing, becoming more of an expert in ethics. Well, anything else that comes to mind for you? I mean, we're going to wind down a little bit here. We've been going for about 35 minutes. So, Craig, anything else that, that you would like listeners to know or to be aware of? I think I think we're in an exciting time when it comes to leadership ethics out of the social scientific side of things. I mean, philosophers have been there for centuries, but lots of research has been going on. You go to a conference, there are a lot more discussions of, of ethical leadership. I think, as I mentioned earlier, Brown and Trevino, a number of those uh, studies related to their instrument and finding out these connections. So it, it's a it's an exciting time, I think, uh, to talk about ethics. I think obviously more needs to be done with followership ethics. More and more is being done cross-culturally than there was. Uh, servant leadership seems to work in sort of authentic leadership, but obviously the, there can be uh, more done there. So that's what I would say. It's a good time to uh, talk about about this. There's certainly, greater need than ever. So, and let me let me conclude by asking this question specifically about our topic today. What resources, other than your text, and for listeners, you can find information about Craig's text. I've used it in class. It's an incredible text. What other resources like Brown and Trevino have you come across that maybe listeners should be aware of? Something that you think is just really, really well done. Now, that could be a book. It could be a film. It could be any number of other resources. Anything come to mind for you that's been transformational in your own thinking? I've I've enjoyed a couple of books on character that have come out in terms of The Road to Character by David Brooks, Forged in Crisis, Nancy Cohn. So I'm always on the lookout for those kinds of books that reinforce certain theories or on certain topics. Uh, One that I read recently, Winners Take All, raises the issue by a Harvard professor, which raises the issue. We talk, those in higher levels, uh, economically talk a good talk, give money away, but um, are not so interested in really changing the system that benefits them. So we've seen a little bit of this with COVID where we've signed or where CEOs have signed off on stakeholder capitalism, that we serve stakeholders, but you know, they're getting the bonuses still when people are getting laid off. So he's pretty skeptical about it. That was an influential um, book. And I'm always interested in films, unfortunately, probably the next since we've got in so much into streaming and not everybody sees the same films, those won't be in the next edition. But uh, one film that was very powerful, A Hidden Life, about a Catholic resistor out of Austria in World War II. And they keep asking, why are you doing this? It's not going to make any difference. But the point being that behind the scenes, if enough of us behave in a high character way, that sets the foundation to improve society. So uh, I found that a very powerful uh, film. 
I just watched Dia Khan, D-E-E-Y-A-H-K-H-A-N. Have you heard of her? No, I don't think so. I would love for you to check out the work of Dia Khan. She has a film. You can access you can access both of these on YouTube. One is called White Right, R-I-G-H-T. And she embeds herself with some white nationalists for it's an hour-long film. And basically her primary question was why does someone join these organizations. And then she has one that was it was nominated for a BAFTA. It's called Jihad. And she embeds herself with uh, extremists on Muslims. And the learning that, that occurs between those two, what are seemingly different groups and, and what she learns, the similarities in their recruitment tactics, the similarities in the type of person they're recruiting, really fascinating conversation. And so her work, she also has a very, very wonderful podcast with Sam Harris called Conquering Hate, which, you know, it, it comes down to empathizing and not othering and actually building relationships with people. And, and so that's what happens in, in White Right. She actually builds relationships with, with some of these individuals and they become somewhat conflicted because now they know someone, right? And, and they can better empathize. And so really, I, I, I would love to hear your perspective on those films. Just a very, very interesting take on kind of what's happening in those environments, right? I've, I'm in the midst of uh, the Netflix documentary on Bobby Kennedy, and I'd read about him, and I've, I've, I lived through his assassination and so forth. But learning more about him, he's fascinating. He was a tough guy who became compassionate, and it's sad what happened to his brother and he, and then the speech he delivered in Indianapolis Martin Luther King assassination. There's a movie there, Ripple of Hope, if you ever get a chance to see it, is a wonderful background on on all that went behind the scenes there. I've listened to that speech many times. It's a powerful speech. I'll put it in the show notes for sure. Well, I think we kind of did the, my next question, which was, what are you listening to? What are you reading? What are you streaming? Anything outside of what we've already discussed or mentioned that comes to mind for you? I'm a big fan of Van Morrison and Willie Nelson. So almost anything that Van comes up with, uh, I don't buy it right away. And then uh, I, I knew you were going to ask me this question. Uh, for novel, I read an interesting book called A Gentleman in Moscow. He was an aristocrat who, uh, who gets exiled to an upscale hotel. And if he steps out of it, he's going to get shot. But anyways, what happens with him in terms of him becoming part of the staff there, and he becomes, uh, he knows nothing about children, but he ends up becoming a, in a sense, a foster dad in one case. And how he grows through that is, uh, I really enjoyed that novel, if anybody wants to, to read it, it's out in paperback. Awesome. Spoke to me. A Gentleman in Moscow. Yep. I've got it. I've got it. Well, Craig... I really, really appreciate your time today. This has been a fun conversation, an enlightening conversation. I think anyone listening at least has some elements to reflect upon. And again, at least for me, this is a topic that is foundational. I think it's foundational for any program that hopes to truly develop leaders. And to your point, if we have enough people who are very centered and clear on who they are and what they stand for, when confronted with those situations that will happen over the course of their life, uh, there's a North Star. And that's incredibly valuable because it's awfully complex out there in the world. <laughs> that's right. Well, thank you so much, sir. Uh, enjoy fishing. 
and enjoy the beautiful Oregon coast. Do you get to the coast ever? Somewhat. Not so much this year because they haven't wanted that many visitors with COVID. Yeah. Because it tends to profile a little older on the coast. But my wife really likes the coast. I'm more of a mountain guy. So we split between. Well, that's the beautiful thing about Oregon. You have wine, beer, coffee, mountains, volcanoes, crater lakes, bends, and you have ocean. That's right. We, we, we got it all. We got it all. We like it all. Well, thank you so much, sir. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye. Uh, what an interesting conversation with Craig Johnson. Uh, obviously, a gentleman who has found his vocation, which is that alignment, and obviously he is passionate. I think one of the last things he said was, it's an exciting time in leadership ethics. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but I'm going to look at it from an optimistic lens. We had a really cool conversation. So I had never heard of this notion of a toxic triangle, and that's something I'm going to explore a little bit more along with the work of Brown and Trevino. Again, something I hadn't hadn't learned. And as I'm learning, as I continue to keep Phronesis up and running, there are so many different things to learn. And that's what I love about this. It's exciting. There's just a world of information out there. You know, if I think about our conversation, Craig really had some nice places to begin, whether you're a learner or whether you're a program architect. So he talked about character. He talked about a follower's first mindset. Are you a servant leader? He talked about authenticity. So knowing your values and then also living your values. And then, of course, he shared with us that if you're no longer an individual who can know everybody that works for you, then your job is to be shaping culture. He highlighted the importance of looking within tapping into our vocation or our passion, being proactive, being prepared, and doing the work ahead of time so that when we confront those difficult situations, we are set up for success. And I think that's a great place to be. Thank you, everybody. Be well, take care, and as always, thanks for listening in. You have been listening to the Practical Wisdom for Leaders podcast. If you liked what you heard, please share it with others and let them know what we're up to. And one last quick reminder to click subscribe so you know when we publish new episodes. And of course, we'd love to hear your feedback. You can stay in touch with me by visiting www.scottjallen.net or any number of social media platforms. Be well, be safe, and make a difference wherever you are on this beautiful planet. And now, here's Kate's twin sister, Emily, with the outro. You've been listening to Phronesis, Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen.